0: Welcome to Useful Idiots.
1: Hello, welcome to Useful Idiots. I'm Katie Halper, and that is...
0: Matt Taibbi. Yeah,
1: we gotta do that, right? <laughs> a
0: lot of stuff going on. Even a lot of stuff in the last 24, 36 hours, although...
1: By the time you've yeah, seen this... it'll be, it'll be more like 72 a, yeah. hours, yeah. But, but we'll make it good. We'll make it so good that you won't mind. Yeah, it'll yes.
0: just flow. It'll, it'll make, flow. It'll make sense.
1: It'll yeah. go back in time when you're watching, like It'll the whole space-time continuum thing will be violated. It's like a
0: Doctor Who mm-hmm, situation. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So we have a great show. Great We're going to be talking to a friend of show, uh, Glenn Greenwald. GG.
1: He demanded to be on. He but demanded. We have, to, yeah, shoot, I, we have yeah. to cut that. We don't want to blow up his spot. But I think he'd be comfortable with us sharing that. I think he would be We'll give him permission to cut it, yeah.
0: It's going to be a very, very interesting yes. and uh, animated conversation. And uh, a lot of stuff this week involving the campaign, just a lot of crazy messaging, uh, looniness happening on the eve of the debate this week. So we'll get to all that. We should just start off, as we always do at the top of the show, there's only four news stories, Republicans suck, Democrats suck, isn't that weird, isn't that terrible? Lots of stuff on all sides this week. So it's me, Republicans suck this week. So Republicans suck, I think it's just the the sort of general jingoism, McCarthyism thing that the Republicans have now leaned into after three years of complaining about the Russia thing.
1: Right. Uh, After three years of being on the other side of the jingoistic party right. stuff, right, they've like come back.
0: After the Soleimani attack, right. suddenly, like instantaneously, like like nothing ever happened. They've gone straight back to 2002, 2003. Anyone who's against them is right. in love with terrorists, in league with right. Iran. Uh, there were a ton of these incidents, incidents this week. You know, the, the Doug Collins said the Democrats are in love with terrorists. Uh, Well,
1: I did say Soleimani was handsome, so I may have Uh, furthered that theory. You were crushing
0: a little bit. I was
1: crushing. I was crushed about his being crushed.
0: Then we had Lindsey Graham uh, saying that uh, Mike Lee was enabling the enemy. Uh, Trump tweeted out a picture of nancy pelosi and chuck schumer in iranian garb or he retweeted yeah a picture there's just a lot of this insanity and and this is happening like at exactly the same time nancy pelosi is still doing this stuff like there was a a cnn this uh story this week basically saying that pelosi was musing that uh, mitch mcconnell has some kind of connection to russians so it it's just really annoying that this is now be, going to become sort of standard fare, uh, partisan politics, and and the Republicans. You would think, I guess I wouldn't. Why would you think that? But the, but after three years of, of bitching and moaning about this, they you would think they would stop.
1: Right. I mean, you kind of would think that they would stop. You would hope maybe that they would stop. Yeah, actually, but why
0: would I think that? But they.
1: You know what's cool about it is that Tulsi Gabbard, who is an you know very anti-war. An anti regime change war, although, according to Joanne Reed, I shouldn't even say that word because that's a Russian term.
0: Regime change war?
1: Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, Sovietologist, uh, Joanne. Famous Sovietologist. In on that. Yeah. But it's cool because she is really going after Trump and going after this, and which is nice for all the people who are kind of like, and you've seen this and encountered this a lot. Yeah. All the people who call her like a Trump enabler or. Uh,
0: uh, yeah, she's a closet Trump yeah. acolyte or, you know, she, she's, she's uh, carrying out the wishes of Trump. Yeah.
1: Right. By the way, I don't know if you saw this, but now I guess uh, Trump is saying it doesn't really matter if Soleimani yeah. posed an imminent threat, which is. Kind of amazing,
0: right? Yeah. Well, he I, just pa- owns it. Part of that is that I don't think he understands. Why you have to call it an imminent threat? Right. Because it's, it's sort like, of illegal if you don't. You know, our, our legal defense is constructed on the idea that that when we do these things, when, when we uh, commit military acts of aggression that aren't within the framework of a UN Security Council resolution, that we're, we can do that if it has if we're defending right. against an imminent attack. So it has it's like to be like a self
1: defense, defense right. But so on the grand scale, yeah.
0: So it, it it has to be that, right? And he, I don't think he understands that they have to.
1: Maybe he does that it, and doesn't care, though. Well. He might. It could be either way. Anyway,
0: that that's, I don't know how you feel about that, but I, I just what, what, that, what, that entire thing annoying. The, the, I'm very
1: happy about it, Matt. Yeah, I'm happy you? about the, the killing. I'm happy about the downing of the airline. I'm happy about the Republicans. You know, I'm an open book. Big you know how I'm going to come that, off on this. No, right. it's terrible. For <laughs> Dems suck, uh, we have uh, a story that's kind of like Dems, most Dems suck, but there's some good Dems here and there. So what we have is uh, AOC announced, she uh, launched a pack, a new pack to help insurgent left-wing candidates, and that's basically in response to the revelations that um, the DCCC is trying to boycott vendors who right. who work with primary challengers. She tweeted, "I give quite a bit to fellow Dems. We fundraised over three hundred thousand for others, more than my dues, with over fifty percent going to swing, ste- s- swing seats." The D Triple C made clear that they will blacklist any orgs that help progressive candidates like me. I can choose not to fund that kind of exclusion. Totally fair, I think. My
0: opinion. Well, the interesting thing about this is that it just makes more overt this schism that's being, you know, driven between right. people like AOC, Sanders, and the traditional Democrats. I mean, that it's just blown wide open the right. last week or so. And when money starts getting involved, uh, that's that's when these these splits become formal right and, exactly and yeah. I, I think this is I, this this last period before Iowa New Hampshire before this uh, primary contest really gets rolling is it's gonna end up being a historic moment in the history of this party I think because because of stuff like this yeah uh, this is it's just crazy and the D Triple C you know we saw them start to do this a, a couple of years ago when they when they were really leaning heavily into discouraging certain kinds of candidates, encouraging others. And, you know, now it's going to be essentially a formality that they're going to be two different fundraising. It's good in a way. way.
1: I mean, so this is a Dem suck and a couple of them are good.
0: Right. The ones who are
1: not as um, institutionalized or not as um, part of the machine.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, it's just yeah, dem- Dems are divided and suck. I guess. Is right. What it yeah. Is. Yeah, yeah.
1: Dep- yeah. More. Yeah. The establishment ones suck. Establishment Great. Dems suck. Uh, it's uh, it's called the Courage to Change Pack. All right. So, yeah. So that's good. Thank you, AOC. Yeah. For that yeah. bravery. Right. I mean, it's totally isn't it, it's totally fair game because they they have a blacklist. You can't and you can't really do what they're doing and expect people to just take it. I guess you can expect them to take it because historically they have.
0: Well, look, this AOC and I guess you could say the other members of the squad, they, they have enormous fundraising power. They have enormous social media power. They wouldn't have been able to do something like this. Right. Exactly. Uh, for, yep. four years ago. Now, you know, the way the media is stru- structured, the, uh, they have their own ability to raise money. Right. Similar to what, you know. Sanders is showing in this campaign, the, the ability to raise not just a significant amount of money but more than anybody else, um, yeah. you know, eschewing the, the traditional methods, it's just that it that changes the whole dynamic yeah. because you wouldn't have been able to do, because they were dependent on upon the, the money from, right. the, from the committee before. Now that's not going to happen. What did
1: Nancy say? Like she has her tweets, she has her public Oh, her her, Twitter?
0: Yeah, we have to look that up. Her tweets or whatever.
1: All these people have their public whatever and their Twitter world, <laughs> but they don't have any following. They're four people, and that's how many votes they got. This is about the squad.
0: Yes, yeah, so this came Play out. Queen. It, it should be pointed out this came out last year and in the context of the whole go back thing, if I remember correctly. Uh, it was just yeah, before that? Yeah, it was right
1: before. Yeah, yeah, Trump really took his cue from that. Yeah.
0: But this came out. Remember, there was a whole series of stories that came out about Democratic officials complaining about whether she wants to be a AOC wants to be a Twitter celebrity or a member of the party. Right, and uh, they're just uh, haters.
1: They're just jealous. God forbid we have someone on the left who does what Trump does, basically. I mean, responsibly. In other words, not what Trump does, as in like tweeting at 4 a.m. about. Invading, bombing countries. But I mean, God forbid we have personalities on the left.
0: Well, no, what she is doing with Trump is so she's bypassing the, yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah, the party structure right. and, and even the press. To, right. To, We've, I've do?
1: said before she's like a good Trump. Incredibly savvy, knows how to troll the enemy, drives them crazy, mm-hmm. and is pretty immune to, um, to in- institutional pressure. Institutional I mean, pressure and yeah. media, attempted media criticism.
0: Right, right. Remember
1: they released a video of her dancing when she was in college and she just looked extremely. Appealing,
0: yeah, and they were, or they were complaining about her. She wore a nice suit, therefore, yeah. how could she? How could she really be a socialist? I mean, this stuff is just stupid. It actually makes her look better. And, I know, and and but don't don't be fooled by dun dun you know dun dun. that quote from from Nancy Pelosi. Like she understands exactly yeah, what that or else why? Or Twitter world yeah, like why she, would she
1: be responding to it?
0: She understands how important that is. So now right. now the, the the next step of this is is yeah, let's start using public and, fight
1: dueling.
0: Yeah, yeah, let's you know if if you're going to be behave like this, we're just going to do our own thing, right? And, um, but it's going to be a significant step for the party, yeah. isn't that weird? It's just scorpions and suitcases again yeah, uh, quite a penny. The story this this week is that uh, a guy in Sri Lanka got arrested trying to carry two hundred uh, scorpions out of the country back to China.
1: Is it like a repatriation thing like a nationalist movement?
0: He was smuggling scorpions. I guess that's a job you can okay, have yeah, come on, Bryce a lot more important problems in Sri Lanka. Um, and they, they, they had excellent pictures of the hall. Uh, yeah, if you can what see this. is
1: that? Were they gonna live? How big are scorpions?
0: They look like pretty decent, they're and looks, he was gonna they fl- look scary How long is actually? the flight? They
1: are. Of course they look scary. It's funny you say that. Like, despite the fact that they can pierce you and sting you, they look scary. Yeah,
0: right, yeah. yeah. Surprisingly, yeah. they look scary. And there's a whole bunch of them. Wow. I guess it looks my like question they're in jewelry
1: is, cases, kind of. Like, what are those? those medication? What are those things?
0: I, I, m- that was going to be my question. Yeah. Are, are they scorpion cases? Can you go to a store? and Right. I, like, I, 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 we should
1: turn that into a new phrase for anything that looks like that. It's basically it's a plastic case with dividers, with plastic right. dividers. It kind of looks like, you may not know this, but if you go into a jewel, jewelry beading store, like there used to be a lot of these things that you go in, it's kind of fun. You take your beads and then you can make them in the store. They would give you, would take them and things like that.
0: You think you could do scorpion beating? Is that what yeah, you're, yeah,
1: actually, they probably could make a lot of stuff out of their shells. I'm a little torn over this. You know, I like animals, I don't like animal cruelty. And you know what? I, I'm not torn over this. It's just hard. It's not like koala level or yeah, like you, really cute animal. It's not like a piglet, a puppy, a dog. It's it, just weird like that, cat. Some, that it's somebody cat level. has a job.
0: Right. There's a they person. look like
1: lobsters.
0: They do look like lobsters.
1: Anyway, so that's... Uh, Scorpions
0: are weird. Somebody has a weird job.
1: So what happened to him? Do we know?
0: I don't know. He's right. probably being put to the death, right? I mean, it's Sri Lanka.
1: By, by scorpion.
0: Right, yeah. I always thought that would be a great idea, by the way, that we used to drunkenly discuss this in college, if each state used an indigenous animal to oh, execute that's its prisoners. Oh, I like
1: that, because it's like indigenous rights. Right?
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So in Maine, you'd have somebody rammed to death by a moose or something like oh, that. Oh, wow, yeah, yeah.
1: Where do lobsters reside?
0: Uh, New England. Could yeah. be Maine. They'd have to have... Could be Maine. First, they'd have yeah. to have a
1: battle to figure out. I wonder who would win <laughs> between a moose and a lobster. <laughs> battle well, to the death. You had death. Enough,
0: enough lobsters? Yeah, you're this right. This is getting silly quickly. What do we have for... Isn't That terrible?
1: terrible? Isn't that terrible? Um, Um, It's a landlord pushed to death in Queens. Wow. Queens landlord trying to collect $200 in back rent was allegedly shoved down the front steps by a deadbeat tenant. This is the Daily News describing it. A deadly push caught on surveillance video. Police and the victim's family said Monday, Edgar Moncayo, 70, is seen standing outside the Corona house Sunday afternoon talking with his wife on the phone and trying to gain access to the building when his tenant, 22-year-old Alex Garces, opens Front door. Called the police. The landlord says, tells his wife in Spanish as he tries to storm the door. According to the doorbell video footage obtained by the Daily News, moments later, Garces's upper body appears in the video frame as he forcefully leans out the door and shoves the elderly man off the stoop, sending Moncayo flying backwards and smashing onto the pavement at the foot of the entry steps.
0: So what's the? This is this is just a terrible thing that happens on camera. He's
1: suffered a traumatic brain injury. Medics took him to the Elmer's Hospital where he died. Jesus. So, this is terrible. Right. Now, it's also terrible PR for the housing rights and tenants' rights community. This landlord seems like a decent guy, just trying to collect some money, but I don't want this to to color the way that people see housing rights activists.
0: Right. Yeah, they're not all pushing people to death outside their front stoop. Yeah. Yeah. I just
1: want to make sure that that's clear.
0: Oh, okay. So, So it's a
1: personal isn't that terrible, and then it could be a political isn't that terrible if we let that... I'm, a, I'm afraid the landlord lobby, the real estate lobby, which is very powerful, is going to try to weaponize that. Yeah, this is terrible. I mean, yeah. can you imagine? I feel so bad for the guy and his family. Um, I don't think the guy knew he was going to push him to his death. Yeah, and
0: now we're back to felony murder, which is another... Uh,
1: well, yeah, yeah, but you know where I fall on that. Right, yeah. Can we do a very... Just to, to clear it up, I want to share really a really short thing that's an... Isn't that almost terrible, or couldn't that have been terrible? Sure. Which was actually averted, but could have been very funny. So, six uh, chip units were sent in pursuit of a car. St- Southbound on Highway 99, after it was reported that a young passenger was displaying a piece of notebook paper on which she scrawled, "Help me, she's not my mom, help." And uh, they engaged in a. You see, I knew. They engaged in a like a fast speed chase, and uh, 20 miles later. At 8 Mile Road, the ch- Chip forced the car to the right shoulder, and it was, quote, it was determined that the juvenile had made it all up and thought it was a fun thing to do. <laughs> the mother was unaware of what her daughter was doing. Um,
0: that is awesome. Yeah.
1: So yeah. then there was a Facebook post where they used the hashtag not funny, Chip did, and it advised his parents to be awake. No, to be aware of what their children are doing in the backseat at all times.
0: Maybe giving, letting your kids have a magic marker and paper uh, in the back seat Isn't, of a car is not a, not a great thing to do. But who doing. would have
1: thunk it? You think that's a healthy thing for them to do. I mean, it's a nice thing to do. It's artistic. But you just have to, I guess you have to tell your kid, please do not pretend I'm kidnapping you.
0: What do you think the future profession choice of that child is I going to be? What do you,
1: what do you think? Uh, She's pretty you, funny. I want to know how old she
0: I think is. journalism is not, not out of the question. Yeah, or right stand, either. I,
1: I kind of think stand-up maybe. Stand-up
0: maybe. Okay,
1: so to the news.
0: To the news. Crazy week. Should we start with uh, yeah, Warren, the Warren Bernie? Yeah, set up thing, yeah. So there, were, there was a lot of stuff going on in the Bernie-Warren front even before uh, right. Monday night, which is when this story got completely nuts. Right. Uh, there was a, she had a story, that it was a story that came out in Politico.
1: Right.
0: Essentially saying that, It was reporting about a a thing that was posted on the Slack in uh, in the Sanders campaign, and it was suggesting how to respond to people when you're canvassing in Iowa if they say that they're Warren supporters. And essentially, one of the instructions was to say, yeah, she's she's my second choice, yeah. too, but uh, you should Sexy. know that her supporters are, are tend to be more affluent and e- educated. They're going to vote Democratic anyway. They're, you're not going to bring in right. new... She's not bringing in new people. Yeah,
1: the way right? that Sanders is,
0: yeah. So Warren found out about this, and she says, Bernie's attacking me. I'm disappointed, me, right? Right? Yeah. I'm disappointed. And she
1: sent out a fundraising thing off of it.
0: Right, right. Which... You know, to be fair, is it's relatively fair. It's in yeah, the it's ballpark of yeah, fair game. I right. would say, right?
1: Uh, yeah, it's more that why it's more that like I don't think the media would you, reported it on it if it had been the other way around.
0: Right, but you know, you're you. It's certainly okay to point. Yeah, out it's that not you're, outrageous. You know, yeah. So I mean, the 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 difference is that I think once the Sanders campaign found out about this, they weren't thrilled about it and and castigated those people but whatever right. you was know. Is that
1: did you follow it in detail because I feel like there were a couple d- different developments about it it was a volunteer
0: yeah it wasn't right? somebody high it up it wasn't in the a campaign, campaign. person no, it was a volunteer no. right right okay. but still it happened Sure. so and, you know it, it, it's a thing but then after that there was a story that, that came out right in cnn that cited four people two people who had spoken to elizabeth warren and then two other people who are familiar with the matter right uh saying that bernie sanders had told warren in a meeting last year that uh, a woman couldn't win the presidency yeah and uh and then pestered about it warren said, essentially confirmed the story and then said, I don't want to talk about it.
1: It was so passive-aggressive, though, the way she did it. I don't, I mean, I, I've been trying to be not so judgmental of, of Warren. I'll, I'm fond of pointing out her, her history as a Native American chef. But um, I really haven't been making fun of her too
0: hard. I def- I've defended her multiple yeah. times from, from Unfair Press last year, even though her campaign has been a little odd. But, but yeah. this is crazy. And then there's Liz Holio,
1: But that's, look, but it, right. yeah, but I've never... I've never really gone, with the Native American thing, I've often said that it was re- really bad political instincts, and I don't believe it for a second. Well,
0: yeah, we have to get to the rest okay, of it, which, the, is, oh, yeah, which yeah. is that, first of all, Bernie denied it. Right. Absolutely. So you th- automatically that means somebody's not telling the truth, right. or somebody's wrong, one or the other. Right. That's, and then there was a, uh, a Washington Post story that came out that cited two sources, one one who said that Warren's characterization of the event was incorrect. And that she had brought it up. She had asked him if, she thought a, if he thought a woman could win. Uh, and that what he had actually said in response to that wasn't that a woman couldn't win, right. but that uh, Trump would use right. nefarious tactics yeah, course, in response, yeah. which is something that he said to me and to many other reporters in the past. Right. Um, you know, I, I know Bernie doesn't believe this. Right. Uh, the, he, among other things, he's got many public comments dating back to the 80s saying that he thinks a woman could win the presidency and also after after 2016 i mean he's what he's completely aware that hillary only lost by a handful of votes so right
1: which he said which he said right and also he uh he basically i mean in his book he writes about how he didn't really like plan to run for office in 2016
0: he he, he ran essentially part in part because warren wouldn't run he he was hoping that she would run yeah and when she didn't, that, that played into his decision yeah, exactly. to run because he felt progressive politics wouldn't be represented in the race.
1: Right. So the idea that he thinks that. I mean, I guess in theory you could say, well, after 2016, he changed and started to think that. But I don't i don't think anyone who doesn't irrationally hate Sanders believes it. I think even his haters probably don't believe it. Right. It's just so not something he would say.
0: It's, it's not in his thinking. I don't. I, I don't think that uh, even in the in his most cynical moment, thinking about the campaign, yeah. I don't think he actually thinks that.
1: Right. I Me mean, neither. Uh, yeah.
0: Uh, and so, what do you what do you have? Either you have a story about Sanders saying something that is completely uncharacteristic and that he he's contradicted publicly many times, dating back to the '80s, or it's an invented story that involved... that was a
1: year old.
0: That's a year old. That they old, just
1: sent out now.
0: Involved. At least five people, because four people had to talk to that reporter at CNN plus Warren. So it's not like, you know, people have suggested, oh, this was an accident. She didn't know about no. it. Like, these things don't happen. You, you can't have four people no. close to a candidate doing something like this, talking to the media, and then, you know, have the candidate, you know, verify the story and have that not be something that right. they, they knew was happening. And,
1: of course, all the headlines are saying, like, Bernie said a woman couldn't win sources say. Right. Like they're just presenting it as true, as opposed to, you know, if they want to say that could be like Sanders accused of, right? It's not like there's...
0: Right. Especially since, you know, in CNN, the way they wrote oh it was God. so disingenuous. You know, they, they 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 referred to the revelation that yeah. this happened. But they know, when even when they're citing four sources, it's not four sources. It's it's four people who got a characterization right. of, of a conversation right. from more It's one source. Right. It's, it's a hearsay. Sure. Right. right? Yeah. And so that when you're when you're writing something up like that, you, it plays into your decision about how you how you say it. It's you know an allegation, especially if the other candidate is denying it, right?
1: Yeah. And so what did I want to go to Warren's statement, but first, can you share about what you discovered because you did some. Reporting well, I mean, all on I
0: know time. is that I mean, I talked to a couple of people in the Sanders campaign, and, and you know they confirmed that there were only two people in that meeting, so there there isn't so somebody Warren else. Warren and Sanders. Warren and Sanders. Okay. So
1: reminder, this is. Warren and Sanders were at the meeting, and according to the story, Warren reported this to four people, and actually, didn't some of them, according to the Washington Post, not didn't some of them say it didn't happen?
0: No, the the Washington Post story wasn't clear about okay. who who they talked to, w- which camp those okay. people were in. Got it. But they they had two two sources. Sean King had some sources that right. suggested that it came from within the Warren yeah camp, but. It doesn't really matter. All these stories are secondhand. Right, but they're, yeah, it's yeah. so
1: horrible. So, but th- this is her statement. Maybe this can go under, isn't this, isn't that passive aggressive? Isn't
0: that passive aggressive? Right.
1: Yeah. Bernie and I met, so she was forced to respond on it after the story came out. Bernie and I met for more than two hours in December 2018 to discuss the 2020 election. Our past work together and our shared goals, beating Donald Trump taking back our government from the wealthy and well-connected and building an economy that works for everyone. Among the topics that came up was what would happen if Democrats nominated a female candidate. I thought a woman could win. He disagreed. I have no interest in discussing this private meeting any further because Bernie and I have far more in common than our differences (coughs) on punditry. I'm in this race to talk about what's broken in this country and how to fix it. And that's what I'm going to continue to do.
0: So I'm gonna just drop this this nuclear bomb in the middle yeah. of the race, but I don't want to talk about it, right?
1: Oh, I thought you were saying I was <laughs> yeah. like, sorry, Matt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, right. That's like I, it's kind of like when a friend is like, yeah, I'm really upset about about something, but let's not, we don't have to talk about it.
0: Right. Yeah. Exactly. It's like no,
1: you. This is a thing, and you're commenting on it. It's like you're you're pretending you're like, but I but we're good. We're all good. We're, we're uniting in this fight. We're united in this fight. But I'm just gonna call him a liar. Right. A sexist liar.
0: Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, I, yeah. I, I got I got some blowback for saying that this is one of the as dirty as politics gets yeah. uh, on, some online. Too. But I mean, this is people said, oh, look, compare this to Trump. No, the, this isn't who you compare it to. It's not you don't compare it to this is Lee Atwater like, yeah, this is this is a situation where you're heading into a crucial vote. As time is ticking down yeah. on, on, on an election, you drop an invented story. That's designed to create a media firestorm. That is, you, you can't answer. Right. There's no answer to the charge, to, to the um, you know, an emotional charge like this. So, you know, people will look at these headlines and register right. that this person has negative views about women. It so doesn't awful. matter whether they whether they later come to a right, better realization. it's already realization. been
1: made like on a visceral level.
0: Right, so it's similar to things like oh you know, uh, John McCain has an illegitimate, right. you know, Indian daughter or right. whatever it was, right? Like, you know, that's, it's not, it's in that same Bain, region yeah. region of thing when you're, where you're circulating. I mean, What that, did
1: LB, didn't LBJ say something like this?
0: Well, his, his whole thing was he he wanted to spread a rumor that some, an, a, an opponent had sex with pigs right. and the, when the aides said, we can't call the person a pig fucker. I right. said, well, let's make him deny it. Right. Exactly.
1: Yeah. <laughs> right. So that, that's what this is kind of. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and so let's show that we have some really interesting and relevant videos, right? Let's let's take a look at what Sanders has said in the past about women and presidents. This kid um, is so cute.
2: No, both. there have been, uh, there have been, and there are women mayors all over the country. There is a woman governor. Yeah. Um, I think it's not, not, not only
0: cute that's so,
2: Madeline Cunin and Governor Cunin is a woman and there are other, not a whole well, lot, I think there's one other woman governor. There are the mayor of San Francisco is a woman and there are many women mayors but not enough. And one of the very important things, I hope that all
0: the girls in this class understand that
2: you, just as much as the boys, have a right to become president. There's not been a woman president, although there was a woman who was giving foot running for president this time by a, a from colorado woman named representative Schroeder, in some Very strong i hope that the girls will I think know. that they have the right to be involved in politics quite as much as the boys beginning to change but it's not changing fast enough yeah. you
0: know campaigns do dumb stuff all the time and it's not just about sanders but i, I i'm just surprised that Warren, like yeah. I, I, this is a misread for me. Like I know. I'm yeah. similar to you, the, the Native American scandal.
1: Right, just bad. Really yeah.
0: bad judgment, bad political judgment. Yeah. Like, she handled it terribly with I think the it's DNA a thing. Point, but yeah. this this is like, they, they, they had to think about this. I, the only thing I can think of is that some reporter got hold of this. Yeah. Uh, and pressed it to the point where they had to just lean into it as opposed yeah. to, but I, I, I don't believe that. Do you?
1: No, I mean, but even let's say that had happened, what would the, what would the smart thing have been? It could have deny been it. like, deny it, right? Been like, no, he said that he would weaponize any tools, including sexism. I mean, that's what the right. smart thing should have been.
0: I mean, if, if, you're, the, if you're a reporter working on this, and yeah. Elizabeth Warren says, "No, that's not what happened." Right. Even if you have somebody saying she told me something else, yeah. it's a non. You can't really do story, it; like it would, right. be, it would be difficult. To, yeah. I don't know. I mean, yeah. we, we don't know any of this stuff, but it, it's still that it was a very surprising. Yeah, and that was situation, and that was
1: 1987, by the way. That right. that happened, but yeah, I think I totally agree that it's um to give her the benefit of the doubt, to give Warren the benefit of the doubt, like that she didn't, her campaign didn't leak this. Then it was a really bad move to not deny it.
0: Not Push kill, back it on, kill it somehow, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Even if they'd released it, you say no, you know, Bernie and I were talking about it and he said that
0: right. Trump will Actually, it, that you know. would have been more effective, frankly. Yeah. yeah, right?
1: Because then she lays out the argument, she like preempts what Trump yeah, is going to do. Leak,
0: leak it, then yeah, wash your hands you're right. of it. That, mean, right,
1: because then the emotional damage is done. Right. That's good. Yeah. Next time, please do that, Warren.
0: Yeah. Liz Moore, you, you, should, you should hire me if yeah. you if you want to yeah. wreck your opponent's your yeah, list. Exactly. <laughs> yeah.
1: But we have another take on this. Can we go, roll the videotape of uh, CNN?
2: I think the thing that really hurts Bernie Sanders about this is that, you know, it does kind of seem like something you could see him saying because he has had this gender problem historically. And that's the... That's why I think if voters do believe it, if it sits with voters, that's why it would sit with them because they already could have had this belief that Bernie Sanders has a gender issue.
1: I don't even know what to say about this. You comment down because I'm too angry and I don't trust myself to not say things that I'll have to apologize for.
0: Uh, Look, I I understand what she's saying. There there is a a thing that's out there. It's not his fault. Right. It's
1: it's a fabricated narrative. It's a fabricated
0: narrative. So so what what she's saying is because there is a media narrative out there that he's going to be more susceptible right. to this, which is true. But she's
1: not saying that. She's saying because he has a gender problem. Right, right, right. What she should be saying is because the media has invented this gender problem around a candidate who was endorsed uh, by Gloria Steinem in right. the 90s called an honorary woman when she was stumping for him in his congressional re-election campaign. Yes. Who has more, more a less male support base than any other candidate.
0: Right. But what she's saying is, is also... It is on some level true that because of all, all the messaging right. in the last four years, this is going to land a little harder. Sure, right, and but, you know Ber- Bernie's hes an old white guy, like right. he's a little bit vulnerable to this. But but yeah, the decision to say something like that in the air—you right, kn- know—you know what kind of effect that's going to have. But
1: also, I do think there's a big difference between saying. Because he has been framed as having a gender issue, right? She's really accepting that as fact, that he has an issue. Yes. Right?
0: Yeah, she used the kind of language that you you can read into it. Well, what did she say exactly? Okay,
1: let's, let's watch it, please. Let's go to the videotape.
2: I think the thing that really hurts Bernie Sanders about this is that, you know, it does kind of seem like something you could see him saying because he has had this gender problem
1: historically. And that's the. That's why I think if voters do believe it, if it sits with voters,
0: that's why it would sit with them, because they already could have had this belief that Bernie Sanders has a gender issue. But that... He's had this gender problem historically, could be he's had this m- media gender problem historically. I mean, it, it, it's, it's I said guess. in kind of a weaselly way. I, I, th- I think you're you, right. I there's think, nothing look.
1: that she could have said, though, that it makes, you could see, you're not going to say, you could see him saying that there are structural barriers and that, there's a, that, that Trump will be nefarious towards uh, women because Senator has a gender problem. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push back a lot.
0: No, I, a lot what she's saying is she's trying to Im- infer that because he has a problem in this area that he's going to yes. be more vulnerable to this but yeah. I, it, it's you know I, yeah I, it is i, very I also can see i also can imagine I'm political consultants talking amongst themselves and saying this is going to hurt bernie more because because sure, of this issue but then they say
1: because that you know what when you go on the media to be a pundit, you have your stuff like lined up, your talking points, right? Yeah. So you, if you want, what you could have said is like, look, historically, Sanders has been accused of having, it. even saying that, has been accused of having a gender problem. Like, yeah. I don't, I'm not expecting her to be like, turn to the camera and be like, the Bernie Brown narrative is a weaponized smear that invisibilizes women and people of color, but, you know, she's right. not me. Yeah. yeah. But I'm just saying that, that that's a, a sleazy move. Um, And then another interesting thing happened. Tulsi Gabbard tweeted something that I think was pretty relevant and germane to this conversation. She tweeted, I also met with Bernie Sanders before announcing my candidacy. We had a nice one-on-one conversation and informed him that I would be running for president. In that meeting, he showed me the greatest respect and encouragement, just as he always has. Yeah. Okay. Now, I just want to, since we like to talk about the media, let's just go to how New York Times Asted W. Herndon responded to this tweet with a GIF.
0: David Robinson
1: is that who he is? I don't yeah. know. So the in this gif, it's kind of like the white woman. It's like the white woman who wasn't being talked to get butts into the conversation. Crazy. So the irony is that's I think a pretty problematic tweet. This is this gif of the white woman standing up. It's like the who you know we weren't talking to you gif, and and basically there's a black fam- apparently famous athlete.
0: Yeah, that's David Robinson. Yes,
1: yeah. uh, there's David Robinson. You see him. And the woman like pops up right in front of him. A white woman with like blonde hair and pearl earrings stands up. So basically this this journalist at the New York Times is saying to Tulsi Gabbard, who's the one woman of color in the race. Basically it's like literally sit down. Sit down and shut is up. Is that what
0: she's saying? I yeah, uh, that's what the gift means. I yeah. Is that what that means? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um,
1: now the irony, of course, is that Tulsi Gabbard is the one um, woman of color in the race, and the white woman standing up with pearl earrings and blonde hair. If I had to say who she looked like in the campaign right now, it would have to be Warren. Though that's that's the sad thing. The irony is, it looks like Warren. Yeah. If we had to say which one it looked like, it's a really sexist treatment of Tulsi, by the way, where all of her political calculations are based on like some emotional. Um, desire for attention and all these people i just want to make sure that you know guys that anyone who's tweeting something like that about tulsi i just hope you didn't pretend to be a feminist or feminist ally or male ally i hope you didn't pretend that like to be upset about criticism of hillary clinton as being sexist or misogynist inherently because you're engaging in a major sexist trope
0: well except that she's a russian agent so well, you right do exactly that. yeah, yeah. So that happened. Oh, the other thing we we should probably talk about is the Crystal the exiting. Lake. You know, we have another another victim at Camp Crystal Lake. Uh, Cory Corey Booker uh, ended his campaign. That must
1: have been so rough for him.
0: Yeah, it was not possum. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
1: good. Yeah. That's the tail end of it. Oh
0: god. Yeah. It's a doggy dog world in the campaign. Yeah. This could go on I know. forever, I mean, yeah, indefinitely. I mean, yeah. Possum yeah.
1: rough yeah. bow wow wow yeah.
0: leash. What's what's to say about his I mean I think I, I actually think this is gonna be a thing in this campaign because even two percent in this race could be a big deal right so where's he gonna go
1: he's gonna throw in his lot with warren right has he already biden
0: i would think no
1: biden oh interesting i would think think it's gonna be warren but what do you think i feel like you know if he and rosario dawson are still together this is gonna be a tense moment because i feel like rosario is like look i like bernie but i love you and so it's okay that you want to run for for president that's fine but now i think she's gonna want him to go endorse bernie
0: i don't think that's gonna happen
1: well then, Bro- Rosario, better kick him to the curb.
0: So, um, got a great discussion coming up.
1: We have a great discussion with Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Glenn Greenwald,
0: best-selling author,
1: founded the Intercept, Oscar winner, Oscar winner,
0: founder of the Intercept, and in the in the middle of one of the biggest uh, journalism stories in the in the world right yeah. now, which is his, his, his sort of conflict with the. Bolsonaro government yeah. exposés that he's been involved with. So it's a wide-ranging, uh, cool discussion we hope to have.
1: We hope. We're yeah. Fingers crossed. Fingers Owner crossed. of many dogs. Owner, Owner of, many, of dogs. many a dog. Like yeah. 24 dogs living right. with him on his. That's many him. dogs. And he runs an amazing shelter for animals that's run. He hires homeless people to run the shelter. Wow. It's pretty great. And I just want to share, he and Matt Taibbi and I are all featured on this very pretty print that's been making its way around Instagram, called the Unsold.
0: The Unsold. We'll wow. put in a
1: thing. I look pretty ugly. Like, look at my schnoz. Does it look like that in real life? I gosh, no, I hope not. not. Really, okay. No. Anyway, yeah. but we're, there are a bunch of other cool people. But that's another thing that, that we want to tell you about Glenn.
0: Excellent, excellent. Well, I'm sure that's that's among the, the accomplishments big, in his life that he's most proud of. Yeah. So. Vegan.
1: He's a big vegan too.
0: Excellent. Right. Excellent.
1: excellent. Excellent. Let's talk to Glenn. <laughs> All right. Hello, welcome Glenn Greenwald. We are so happy to have you.
2: We've been long awaiting yeah, this, I'm this interview. So happy to be here. I'm a little irritated that it took this long for you to finally have me on, but better late than never.
1: Yeah. Well, we How did How many
2: people have you had on before me?
1: Oh, just like one one we had one All show.
2: Right. It was so more I'm like 40. Right? More like 40, okay, yeah. <laughs> no, exactly. But you were one of our like top 40. choices,
1: and um, you're the top part of our top 40. Yeah. Uh, and we want to have you on in the beginning. Uh, so it was just actually a question of your schedule.
2: Okay, I feel better.
0: Yeah. We should probably just we plunge into the the, the news of the day. What's your take on the Warren thing, the Warren-Bernie thing? I mean, before we get into other, other things in the last three years, there's such a crazy story that's blowing up right now. What did you think about CNN's story, and what, what's going on? It's, it's so crazy.
2: So I have to confess that I was uh, internet free for almost the entire day until we did this interview, so I don't actually know the story that you're referencing, so could you fill me in and I'll let you know what I think?
1: Oh yeah, so the story is that Warren is claiming that in a meeting a year ago, Sanders told her a private one-on-one meeting Sanders told her that he didn't think a woman could win the presidential elections.
2: And she only decided to reveal this explosive and incriminating statement now?
1: The day before a debate.
0: Also, the CNN story was oh, sourced to four people. They had two people familiar with the matter, two people who had spoken to Warren. But it all the story all came from Warren. And they yeah. Bernie denied in the room. It. It, it, Just the coverage of it was great. Yeah. If you didn't see it, it, it's it's not important. But it's yeah. uh, the, the whole campaign is kind of uh, going crazy now. Uh, did you anticipate this reaction, like to when Bernie rose in the polls, that this kind of thing would start to happen?
1: He did. He did.
2: Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Is you know there have long been built-in mechanisms in both parties designed to prevent candidates who are perceived to be outside of the realm of establishment control or mainstream and orthodox uh, thought, and they activate those mechanisms when it seems like a candidate who is outside of their control is threatening to actually win the nomination. In 2016, you saw that in the Republican Party. They did everything they possibly could to prevent Trump from winning, and he did have to overcome a lot of those institutional obstacles and that's what made his victory so kind of extraordinary so remarkable and of course you know Bernie as someone who's not a democrat technically has been critical of the party for many years whose opinions are adverse to the factions that fund the party Um, if he got anywhere near the nomination or even polls suggesting that he could win as polls now are suggesting they're going to do everything literally to sink his candidacy. And that's obviously what this is.
1: Yeah. I was just looking, you tweeted about a John Kerry interview where you said that. um,
2: Yeah. I mean, John Kerry, you know, went on, I guess, face the nation or one of those like shows that nobody under 80 watches anymore and said, (laughs) you know, Oh, Joe Biden didn't really support the war. He was just trying to give George Bush leverage. I remember in 2002 watching Biden when he was the chairman of the Senate foreign relations committee, advocating for that war, the one that John Kerry is now lying and claiming he didn't support and accusing Bernie of deceit and, and, and being misleading. That's how desperate they are that Joe Biden's vote in favor of the Iraq war didn't really mean that he was in favor of the Iraq war and Bernie is lying. They'll do anything and say anything to prevent Bernie from winning. Yeah. It's this this whole period with uh, Iraq
0: coming back into the news, uh, You you wrote about this Years ago, uh, right after the election in 2016, um, that you, this mer- there was a merger of neoconservatives and the Democratic Party that was becoming more formalized, driven about the Alliance for uh, for securing democracy uh, with Jamie Fly and some of the ex-Obama folks. Uh, is this coming to fruition now? I mean, like you're seeing David Frum and Bill Kristol; they had these prominent roles and. In, in the press, it's something that y- you've spent a lot of time on, and I, I feel like is an underplayed uh, phenomenon.
2: Yeah, I mean, even before Trump, there were articles about how neocons were planning to migrate from the Republican Party, which was becoming increasingly isolationist, as evidenced by things right. like the relative success of the Ron Paul movement in 2008 and 2012. I mean, he was going into places like South Carolina and Iowa and saying that the Iraq war was not just a mistake strategically but a moral evil and was you know getting 20 25% of the vote and huge amounts of evangelical voters it was clear that neoconservative militarism and ideology were becoming increasingly unwelcome in the Republican party and obviously Donald Trump exploited that sentiment to great success he ran against all of those wars and neocons are you know if nothing else very kind of keyed in to political trends and knowing they always shift to whatever faction will best serve their agenda. And before Trump was even uh, uh, a thought in 2014, people were writing op-eds that with the anticipation that Hillary was going to be the Democratic nominee, neocons were going to have a Party in the Democrat in the Democratic Party because she was much more pro imperialism pro war wanting to topple Assad criticizing Obama for not arming Ukraine. She was kind of the dream of neocons and you know, you guys and me. Are much less popular in mainstream Democratic precincts than David Frum and Bill Kristol mm-hmm. are. Um, they are stars of the Democratic Party because their form of militarism has regained cachet, largely due to the militarism and jingoism surrounding Russia Gate, but also now through the Obama presidency, which kind of reanimated the idea that the use of drones bombing countries repeatedly is a good thing and it's incredibly ironic because in 2008 the main difference that ultimately distinguished Obama from Clinton was her support for the Iraq war. That's really what sunk her candidacy in 2008 and now Democrats seem willing to say not only is that no longer disqualifying, but it's almost like a positive that Joe Biden supported the Iraq war. And it, I do think it's reflective of what the Democratic Party on the mainstream establishment levels is becoming. You've uh, pointed this out in the past that uh, another
0: thing that separated Obama from Clinton in that election in 2008 was that was the, the first moment was when he, he stood up and said he was willing to talk to people. In, oh, yeah in uh, North- cuba and- in syria you know to talk to rogue states and North hillary Korea, said that right? she wouldn't um and you know obviously that's come up again uh in in this election cycle do you think that the the mainstream democrats just don't remember all this history and how this didn't go over well in previous elections or or they do remember it and are just del- are are trying to get people to think that this is the way you win elections is to be tough on the I don't issues. think
2: Democrats have any consistent I don't think Democrats like broadly speaking obviously have any principles any consistent principles they're incredibly craven they just yeah. believe whatever their the moment and convenience demands that they believe I mean, that moment in 2007 at the Democratic presidential debate when Obama was asked, not only would you be willing to meet and negotiate with the leaders of North Korea, Syria, Cuba, Venezuela, and Iran, but would you be willing to meet with no conditions? Just let's sit down and meet. And he said, yeah, of course I would. And Hillary Clinton mauled him for it, saying that that was incredibly reckless and irresponsible and it would empower tyrants. And I remember that moment so vividly because that was one of the very first moments when I started thinking that Obama would actually be a good president, certainly better than yeah. Hillary Clinton. And that was a energizing moment for the people who supported Obama, which obviously ended up being a majority of Democrats over Hillary Clinton. That's, an, that's almost like a radical view. Um, it shouldn't be, but it is right. in, in U.S. politics. And it's been amazing to watch, you know, when when Trump went yeah. to North Korea, or when he proposed meeting with other leaders of the bad countries, Democrats reacted as though that was an incredibly reckless and irresponsible thing to do. They they adopted Hillary Clinton's critique of Obama in 2007, which in 2007 caused them to side with Obama because they don't have any consistent principles they just decide what they're going to believe at any moment and i also think that this increasing militarism in the democratic party has kind of made things like sitting down and talking to leaders of the bad countries be much more stigmatized than it was say 12 years ago
1: hassan Piker did a great video on that where he cross cuts between uh fox news responding to obama's comments and um, Dems responding MSNBC and Dems responding to uh, Trump's comments or decision about North Korea. And you see it's just like both. And, and of course, the Fox News like praises Trump for this stuff, which would be fine if they praised Obama for it. You know, it's total. It's just nice. What I like is how bipartisan um, the Stupidity bullshit is. and yep. inconsistency is. It really it's, it warms the heart seeing that like MSNBC and Fox are really just two different sides of the same coin.
2: Yeah, you know, I mean, I I do think it's interesting, and I know my saying this means that I'm a Ku Klux Klan leader, but the reality is that um, that Fox is much more critical of Trump than MSNBC was of Obama. And I guess Mm. I should, by that, specify that obviously there are exceptions. Sean Hannity is one of the worst partisan apparatchiks and hacks anywhere on the planet— Um, Joe Scarborough was on MSNBC, obviously criticizing Obama as kind of the token conservative in the morning. But, you know, if you look at like just the nighttime host and like the kind of star opinion journalists that define the networks, clearly the Fox stars are more critical of Trump Hmm. than MSNBC stars were of Obama. And not by much. I mean, they also are pretty craven. But I think on balance, that's the case.
1: And the point is we expect, right, or like the consensus among liberals is that MSNBC is the thoughtful, uh, not-craven, not-lying network, as opposed to Fox.
2: Who, Who expects that?
1: I mean, who does? I don't know. Like, libs, I don't. You know, libs. I know, but yeah. I,
0: but but yeah. It, it has been a disillusioning. It's yes. been it's been an odd experience the last few right. years. I don't know if, if for you movement, feel the yeah. same way that you know I I've I, I have movement. noticed yeah. that Fox, even the Daily Caller, like you know some of these outlets, they're getting kind of back into the business of reporting a little bit. You know, as a as opposed to where they were even 10 years ago. There, there's there's a little bit more balance uh, in that part of the that sector of the media. I don't know if you feel the same way. Uh.
2: Yeah, and I know this is gonna mean that I'm not only a Ku Klux Klan leader, but also a f- uh, loyalist of the Nazi party, but You're the really reality is, which I YouTube. think is already established yeah. anyway, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. But I think that, you know, a lot of the best reporting on Gate came from places like the Daily Caller, and even from, Um, occasionally from certain programs on Fox, Um, you know? And so I think the media landscape and the media ecosystem is a lot more complex than people typically uh, claim that it is. And, you know, just to go back to the MSNBC comment, You know, I think, and Matt, you probably, I think we've talked about this before. I think you've talked about it before publicly. I certainly have. You know, I remember in 2006, 2007, the first shows that I started doing were Rachel Maddow's Air America shows. And we used to spend hours talking about how shitty the Democrats were from the left. Um, You know, how terrible Harry Reid was and how, like, awful Chuck Schumer was and just how, like, in general, the Democrats are corporatist and, like, appeasing Dick Cheney all the time and without any principles. And even in 2008, 2009, I used to be on Rachel's show all the time. And a big part of what we were doing was critiquing Obama. Um, And then at some point, you know, the $10 million a year contract that she gets from Comcast and just like hanging out with Claire McCaskill and Mm -hmm. Nancy Pelosi um, and whoever else, you know, she hangs out with transformed her from this really interesting, smart, independent voice into a still smart, but like incredibly unprincipled partisan hack. And I think that's kind of what you guys might've been referring to, which I share, which is the idea that you still, there's still a part of me that kind of like keeps expecting the people at MSNBC who I used to like and admire to start being independent, critical minded Analyst again, as opposed to DNC spokespeople. Right. What was the first moment you did? You have a
0: moment when you first thought that there was something off about the Russia story,
2: going back three, four years ago. You know, I think that um, just first of all, just intuitively, the whole script of Russia is infiltrating American politics, the Kremlin is manipulating u.s discourse is you know that the, our political enemies are secretly loyal to the russian government all of that just kind of like as an in- intuition is kind of just an impressionistic reaction falls very poorly with me because it's so redolent of The Cold War script that the far right led by people like Bill Buckley and Joe McCarthy and J. Edgar Hoover used for decades against liberals. You know, it's the same script, even though the Russian government is of a different character. But still, even now, you hear people regularly calling. You hear Adam Schiff. He constantly talks about the KGB in the present tense. And the same kind of narrative, you know, I Donna Brazile has a tweet where she says, like, the communists are now ruling our politics, meaning the only, Russian government. If only. Yeah, they're controlling yeah, the narrative
0: and, or something like that, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, are controlling our narrative. So just in, instinctively, I was resistant to and kind of um, wary of that narrative. But then I think, like, the moment when I really felt like things had gone completely off track was when Trump, being Trump, trolling in the most obviously frivolous kind of facetious way stood up at that press conference and when he was asked about russian involvement he did his standard tactic of deflecting it onto hillary by saying i don't know if the russian government is actually hacking maybe they can find hillary's 38000 deleted emails which was obviously clearly just a joke designed to um distract attention away from himself and remind everybody what he always was reminding people of which was you know Crooked uh, Hillary corrupt, Yeah crooked Hillary And the media treated that like it was a Genuine request as if like He was colluding secretly with Russia He would put his request Not through the secret red right. phone To Vladimir Putin but by standing in front Of a thousand cameras and millions Of people and making a serious Request and when I started seeing stuff Like that like that they were treating what was Obviously a dumb trolling Off the cuff comment as some kind Of treasonous request that the Russians uh, intervened in the election, notwithstanding that the Russians supposedly then started looking for those emails after Trump said that. That's the claim, anyway. That's when I started realizing that, at the very best, this was wildly exaggerated hysteria um, and the kind of just jingoistic fear mongering that U.S. politics has been plagued with since at least the end of the world War- of World War II.
1: You get a lot of crap for appearing on Tucker Carlson. Um, interestingly enough, like you. When you do appear on his show, you point out what's uh, all the the behavior of Bolsonaro, the president of Brazil, um, you and then you get called a fascist or a fascist enabler, and of course, or a white supremacist, or a white supremacist. But and I want to congratulate you, by the way, as being one of the first Jewish grand wizards and uh, Nazi uh, high high-ranking Nazi yeah. journalist, right? You've yeah, done so much. It's for an our, achievement for our people. Uh-huh. Yeah, but. Um, the irony is that, like you, you've said this before. How Bolsonaro is actually much more of a fascist than than Trump is. So, you when you do go on on Tucker Carlson, you've you've talked about how threat how much of a threat he is, and you're one of the only voices that has ever done that on on cable news. Um, but you're living under this fascist. I mean, do you think that people? It's kind of a leading question. Obviously, I'm betraying my my fandom of you, but do you have anything to say to people who accuse you of you know of engaging in Fascist en- propaganda. Ena- enabling yeah. Fox or, yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, like, first of all, you know, I'll go on any show, right? As evidenced yeah. by the fact that I'm here. Even yeah. though you guys are Kremlin <laughs> agents. You guys are Kremlin agents. You're Trump supporters. No standards um, at all. Um, yeah. No standards of any kind. And I'm still willing to talk to you, right? Yeah. So, like, that kind of proves that I am consistent in my standards. That I'm sure. talking to Katie Halpert and Matt Taibbi. I mean... What, if I do that, what don't I do? Yeah, exactly. But, you know, I get, like, I just, two things, which is, like, number one, I think that if you're engaged politically, as we are, as our work necessarily means we have chosen to be, you have the obligation, if you believe in the things that you're advocating, if you believe in the convictions that you hold, if you believe that the insights you have developed or the expertise you possess are things that are important for people to hear. I think you have the obligation to maximize the number of people with whom you're communicating rather yeah. than minimizing the number of people with whom you're communicating. And the idea that we should deliberately set about only to speak with those people who already agree with our worldview or ideology and avoid talking to anybody who thinks differently from us is insanity to me. It's just it when I I just when I listen to these arguments about why we shouldn't go on Fox, why we shouldn't go on Tucker Carlson, notwithstanding that he has by far the largest audience of any cable news host in the country. It just it it, sound, it to me it, it it I try and listen, I try and understand the claims and it comes off like sounding like a crazy person when I listen to people who are making that argument. Like there's 4 million people over there and you have the choice to either communicate with them and convince them of the things yes, you believe. Exactly. Or just refuse to talk to them on the grounds that they might think things differently than you and forever see the opportunity to have a channel of communication where you can actually convince, I don't know, 5%, 10%, which is a huge number of people, to be open to the things that you think. And all the arguments about like how you give credibility to Tucker Carlson's show, I haven't been on that show in eight months. I've checked his ratings. They seem to be pretty good without me. Like, I don't <laughs> feel like... I'm the one who is responsible for the success of his show. His show is successful whether I go on or not. The question is whether I'm going to avail myself of that opportunity. And then the other thing is like this whole, you know, resistance um, costume, this this kind of like prancing around as like resistance warriors ever since Trump. I mean, I remember that. Kid who works for Near Tandon, who like for a few months every day was posting like, "I have not yet been arrested by the Trump government for my political views." This tweet will repeat itself every day, as though like one day. Yeah, as though one day he was going to be, like, in a black site, and, like, we would know that just because the tweet didn't appear, and we would be like, right. oh, my God, where's that Ian kid? He's been, right. like, it's abducted been, by Trump because he's such, like, a scary threat to fascist power. It's been a he tweeted,
1: call the authorities, except our Yeah, it's, but, yeah. you know,
2: it's so offensive yeah, it really when you, is. like, actually read about... People who have risked their liberty and their lives to stand up to actual fascism. And I mean, obviously, the fact that, you know, I live in Brazil, that I was able with my colleagues this year to do a story exposing grave corruption at the highest levels of the Bolsonaro government, that I was threatened repeatedly by Bolsonaro himself and the government with prison, with arrest, with violence. Um, You know, just like the the primary target of this fascist movement makes me very kind of indifferent to claims by people who have never actually stood up to fascism or confronted it or risked anything in any way to do it. The way that we also did in the Snowden case when we were threatened with prison as well by James Clapper and... um, You know, Peter King and all kinds of people in various governments around the world where we couldn't leave the country we're working in because we would be arrested if we did. I'm just very indifferent to the accusations by people who have never done any of that, that I'm a fascist enabler or whatever. I'll go on whatever fucking shows I want and I'll talk to whoever I want. Um, And I just, you know, I'm open to arguments about why I shouldn't, but I've never heard even a cogent reason why I shouldn't, let alone a convincing one.
0: In a related question, do you think journalists have a responsibility to be contrary to to, to and to go against popular assumptions? I, I, I've had this discussion with other reporters, and some people say, like for instance, in the age of Trump, you, you, that instinct should go out the window. He, it's too important to impose them. We, sh- we shouldn't. We shouldn't be contrary. But I, I just mm. wondered what you, you you've had. You've been criticized for being too contrarian often. What's What's your take on that?
2: I mean, you know, I think, and I'm not just saying this to, to like be obsequious, but I think that your book, um, which I praised, you know, pretty effusively cause I read it from the first word to the last, um, I think within like the last six weeks, hate Inc is incredibly enlightening about what journalism is actually supposed to do. The reason why it's protected in the constitution, the reason why democracy depends upon a free press, what the traditional role of journalists, has been and, and you talk a lot about you know why your father was a journalist whose like worldview you admire and were influenced by and you have insight into what journalism in the prior generation was and I think it's incredibly enlightening and and, and it influenced. now you know we've talked for years about about exactly that um, and it's influenced me a lot which is you it, when you have a conventional set of assumptions, that the elite class more or less unanimously has adopted and those assumptions go essentially unquestioned by people with a public platform because they're afraid of deviating from prescribed orthodoxies or norms. That's very dangerous because the history of human intellect and beliefs and power is that human beings err all the time and orthodoxies have to be subjected to critical scrutiny. And the role of the journalist in its most noble sense for me is to inform the public which oftentimes means questioning the most sacred pieties and that necessarily means that the journalist is going to be outside of the scope of the halls of power and mainstream popularity because in a lot of ways the role of the journalist is to be an outsider questioning and challenging and scrutinizing and investigating rather than appeasing and placating and serving the orthodoxies of the most powerful. And obviously Donald Trump is a powerful person. He occupies the White House. His party is in control of the Senate. He's backed by a lot of rich people. Nonetheless, the mainstream orthodoxy and piety of the great majority of the kind of mainstream media, the most influential media, is, you know, supportive of the Russiagate narrative, extremely hostile to Trump, in favor of the Democrats regaining power. And there's a lot of assumptions embedded in those views that are highly questionable. And I think our role is to question them and not serve them in order to become more popular.
1: It seems to me like there are a couple of different, like, t- just kind of talking about the critiques of appearing on, on Fox, and I have appeared on Fox um, a couple times, and. It, there is, to me, an interesting spectrum. Like, you can go on Fox um to... I had it easy because I went on to defend Ilhan Omar. So I was just fighting with Laura Ingram And then I was fighting with some Republican about immigration cool. stuff. And then there's the...
0: Well, they're not automatically agreeing, but... Yeah. No, well,
1: mm-hmm. I mean, but I don't say that in a bad... Okay, you, you, you are... Well, the bigger picture, the bigger issue is that that's where you're allowed to talk about what you're saying. And this is what gets missed, gets lost. The issue isn't, like look at this person who goes on Fox. The issue is look at this news landscape where you can't go on MSNBC or CNN if you say anything that's at all against the orthodoxy or against the grain. And that is like, uh, that's the real travesty or the real thing that people should be outraged yeah, I guess
0: about. I the question is, I mean, have you been invited to talk about RussiaGate on any of those other networks? Yeah, uh, right.
2: Exactly. The, the, I think it's, this is a great question. It's also like central to this whole debate, right? Because first of all, I'm you know a very vociferous critic of MSNBC and CNN, and I have been for a long time. I'm also a vociferous critic of a lot of what the Washington Post and the New York Times did, do. Although I also think they do a lot of good journalism, but I've been like vociferously critical of a lot of what they do. Nonetheless. If the New York Times or the Washington Post invites me to write an op-ed, which they've done in the past, that's kind of consistent with their worldview. The New York Times recently asked me to write one about uh, the threat that Bolsonaro poses to Brazilian democracy because they're obviously hostile to Bolsonaro. I wrote the op-ed consistent with my beliefs. I didn't go out of my way to attack the New York Times just because I was writing in the pages of the New York Times. I wrote about the topic they invited me to opine on in as honest of a way as I could. I didn't think about should I please the New York times or should I anger the New York times? I just use the platform to say what I think about the thing they invited me to talk about. Same with the Washington post. I've gone on CNN and MSNBC dozens of times on a few occasions. I've attacked MSNBC and CNN only when the situation called for it. Like when, you know, they I was there to debate something that they had done and I criticized what they did. I never went on MSNBC and CNN and just like gratuitously ignored the question and started attacking them for things that they did that I thought were wrong. A lot of times I went on MSNBC and CNN because I was used by them to advocate a view that they wanted to promote. Right. When Fox asked me to go on, I don't think about... Should I go on and fight with Tucker Carlson? Should I go on and fight with Laura Ingram? I go on and they ask me a question and I say what I think. Is Fox using me? Yes, I'm using Fox too, like I said before. And as Matt suggested, you know, I can't go on MSNBC and CNN because they banned all of us who are Russiagate critics. And so I'm not going to accept a worldview that says that if you have opinions that Rachel Maddow and Wolf Blitzer dislike and want to suppress, you have the moral obligation to stay off television. Right. That's not something that I'm willing to accept. Um, and it's not my fault that MSNBC and CNN censored critics of their false narrative about Russiagate. You know, yeah. if you're angry that I'm not on CNN and MSNBC, but instead on Fox, don't criticize me for that. Go yell at Rachel Maddow and, and Anderson Cooper Yeah, exactly. um, or Jeff Zucker and whoever, Phil Griffin. Um, so, yeah, I think that's an important point.
1: And also, uh, first of all, how dare you attack a gay Les- a lesbian woman, a woman, and a gay man by going after Anderson Cooper and Rachel Maddow. You're a toxic, homophobic, anti-Semitic, fascistic Bernie Brown. I, I added I Jeff Zucker you. and
2: Phil Griffin just to Good. cover my bases. Yeah,
1: thank you, yeah. <laughs> um, what, what, I mean, yeah, the fact that, for instance, Tucker Carlson, right, it's this vicious cycle because Tucker Carlson will question Russiagate. He'll question the Russiagate narrative. He's the only person, he and Laura Ingraham's actually, who questioned uh, the the justification for Syria. And yet, because they say that, if you, or if I, or Matt, if we say, you know, maybe there wasn't evidence, uh, maybe the evidence isn't credible, maybe Mattis himself said there wasn't evidence of Assad doing a certain thing, if we say that, now we're Carlsonists, or Ingram Zanian, or Fox Newsists, or fascists. It's like, yeah, that's the problem. The only people who are saying this are on the right, because other people on the left either ideologically oppose interventionism and imperialism, or they're too afraid of being smeared as aligned with those people on the right.
2: Yeah, I mean, who is the the only cable host who routinely and aggressively critiques the monopolistic power of Facebook and Google over our political life, over our discourse, yeah. over our economy, over our technological independence. It's right-wing politicians and right-wing hosts on Fox. Who, is the only, who are the only people on primetime cable news who vehemently attacked Trump for bombing Syria? Right. It was Tucker Carlson, who is the only people who are the only people on on cable news, really criticizing him for essentially elevating the risk of war with Iran. I guess some MSNBC hosts are doing some NBC hosts are doing that, but within a very kind of muted, strategic right. rationale. You know, like oh, it's not done the way the generals Formulaic, want. yeah. Yeah, very formulaic and just like doing it because it's Trump and trying to almost find reasons to to disagree with it, whereas Tucker Carlson is going on and saying, you know, we have no business and no right to be going to war with Iran. It doesn't benefit the United States or the American people in any way. So you can – politics is about building coalitions issue by issue. You can join hands with them. You know, Dennis Kucinich and Ron Paul join hands to pass a bill to audit the Fed. Um, even though Dennis Kucinich finds a lot of Ron Paul's views and vice versa, completely, you know, reprehensible. So you can agree with Tucker Carlson on Russia Gate and imperialism and vehemently condemn his rhetoric on immigration, as right. I've done many times. Right. It's not hard.
1: Right. Yeah, it's really not hard. Uh,
0: in the last few years, I was just wondering if you could talk about your experience with the media. I, I, I've often felt and I've gone through this a little bit, but not in the scale that you have that that. The other members of the press are, in a way, trying to make an example out of you. Like they're mm. they're they're talking about you in a certain way that to me feels like a, a message sent to other journalists. Like if you take this stance, you're going to get the Greenwald treatment. You're going to be Glenn Gruwald on on Twitter. You're going to get the bane of your existence feature written about you. I, I, I just wonder what your 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 take on that and what whether you've thought about that in the last few years.
2: Yeah, you know, it's been fascinating because like. During when the Snowden story happened, I was obviously not part of the media elite, right? I was always a critic of it. I didn't start in the newsroom of the New York Times or the Washington Post. I never had worked for a a major media outlet before until you know nine months earlier when I became a columnist at the Guardian. But even then, I was kind of an outsider. I was in Brazil. I wasn't in the newsroom. Um, So when you know. I was able along with Laura Poitras to break a story of that magnitude they kind of had to do things like give the reporting a Pulitzer and a Polk and kind of a little bit welcome me into their castle even though they so didn't want to pained them <laughs> so deeply they were kind of forced to and, you know, it did obviously elevate my platform and my credibility and, and and my visibility and my ability to be heard and my influence contrary to what they wanted. When Russiagate happened and I became one of, you know, a very few skeptics and critics of the prevailing narrative, they obviously viewed that as their chance that they've long wanted to eject me from the halls of decency and mainstream acceptability and to kind of put a label on my head that said that I was radioactive, not only to finally expel me from their sacred realm, which was a big part of their motive, but more importantly, as you suggested, Matt, to make an example to kind of like, you know, I'm, we, we you, Matt, you know, you've built a big following, a big audience. Um, you have a degree of independence that young journalists don't have. The same is true for me. Um, you know, we're kind of lucky in that we're able to take risks and to incur the, their wrath without having our careers destroyed. But for younger journalists, the last thing you want is to kind of stick your head up and question their most you know prized pieties because they will destroy your reputation. And those two articles that you referenced—one in the New York in New York Magazine, which was like reasonably fair in a lot of ways—but the framing and, and and like all the art and everything else was designed to make me seem like a demon. <laughs> um, and you know the headline was just so like blatantly deceitful and unfair like does this man know more than Robert Mueller as though I was claiming that I mean
0: it was you're Um, you're like Emmanuel Goldstein basically in that article I mean yeah
2: yeah. well and then the the far worse one was the New Yorker which essentially had no purpose but to basically say we're going to dissect him and we're going to show you that the reason he doesn't uh, he won't admit that this conspiracy happened that everyone knows that ha- happened because the evidence is so overwhelming the reason he's denying it is because he's psychologically ill right he had this like terrible childhood he's angry and resentful about how he was treated when he was young because he was gay he was estranged from his father he's like so filled with anger it was very like psychologically demeaning Patholo- and a very
0: and subtle and ins-
2: yeah ex- absolutely pathologizing my views on Russiagate. And that those two articles together were really like the mainstream media's way of saying we had to let him in for a while, but we're now decreeing that he's now off limits. And obviously young journalists see that and they can't sustain that. I mean, it's hard even if you do have a big platform, you know, you start wondering, how is this going to affect my future opportunities? How is this going to affect how my books are talked about? How is this going to affect my ability to, yeah, speaking appearances, whatever? It affects you, but, like, I think we're in the position where we kind of have the responsibility, given the platform we've built, to show people that you, that that journalists have to do that. Like, if journalists don't do that, don't go against the grain when they believe it, then who is going to, you know? And so, I feel like, um, on the one hand, you know, it didn't really succeed in destroying me, though they tried. Um, the my, my involvement in this expose about Brazil... Um, kind of undermine their efforts because it's, you know, one of the most important journalism stories of 2019, Um, undoubtedly, and has been covered as such and discussed as such. Um, But, and and I also think that, you know, any fair-minded person has to admit that the way the Mueller probe ended with not one single person an American being criminally charged with conspiring with the Russians over the election, which was the accusation that initiated the entire scandal, and with the Mueller report concluding that there was no evidence to establish that that conspiracy took place, any fair-minded person would have to say, not necessarily that we were right about everything, but that our skepticism was vindicated, and that the mainstream view of this certainty of the inevitability of all these people being arrested for criminally conspiring with Russia was debunked. And I think that You know, in a lot of ways, I don't know what impact it'll have on my future professional opportunities or whatever, but I'm really proud of what I did, and I think you ought to be too, um, you both of you, um, for being willing to speak out. And like Katie is a good example where you know you're young, you're starting your journalism career, and it's really risky to do those kind of things, and they purposely have those punishment mechanisms in place to deter people from any dissent and i really got to see it up close and personal and firsthand with what they tried to do to me in 2017 and 2018 as a result of my Rushgate skepticism well Has also any- also 2019 in brazil right i mean right, from is, the is, is other it, side, it's a different the thing honestly. Yeah, right? yeah it's kind of interesting because like i remember one of the lines from the new york magazine article which is that like he doesn't do any real reporting anymore. He just like throws rocks at the media. I remember Ken Delaney and was like, "Yeah, he doesn't do any reporting. He's just like an asshole who just like criticizes us." Because for them, real reporting means you call the CIA and yeah, like you exactly. write down what they say, or they call and you're like, you, even. yeah, or they call you in Ken Delaney's case, and like you go and like obey what they tell you to do. That's what they mean by real reporting. But the fact that like you know, New York Times, The Washington Post, AP, The Guardian, all covered this journalistic expose, this series of articles that we did that provoked threats and dangers and attacks as one of the most important journalism stories of the year, which it clearly was because of the importance of Brazil with the Amazon, with Bolsonaro, um, you know, kind of destroyed that ability to destroy me because everybody had to acknowledge that this was real journalism in every sense of the word.
1: Has anyone apologized to either of you or if not apologized, like acknowledge that you were right about certain things?
2: Anyone who really went after you? No, I mean, Matt. Like, have you had that? I don't like. I think that you know. Once people, I think the hardest thing to do is when you're really invested in something. If you really believe in something, if you really form a conviction about it, to admit that it was wrong all along. And I'm sure there are people who would hear me say that and would say, oh, my God, that's such projection. He's the one who got invested in this skepticism about Russiagate and ultimately got proven true. But the reality is, no matter what else is true, that... No one was charged with criminally conspiring with Russia over the election, and the Mueller report concluded that there was no evidence to establish that conspiracy took place, which was the crux of the entire debate all along, and any honest person would admit that. So I don't need apologies. I am very comfortable looking at myself in the mirror as a result of of what happened, and I hope you guys are too.
1: We're very comfortable looking at you in a mirror. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> but I'm bummed. Thank you, Katie. <laughs> there has been some softening, though. I mean, like you look at the Eric Wemple series recently in the Washington Post, and he's, you know, that I, I'm actually surprised by how aggressive those stories were, you know, about about Rachel and about some of the looking back at the Russia reporting. Did that surprise you? I didn't think the, the post would, would run something You like
2: know, that. it's so ironic that you bring that up because one of the things that I didn't actually agree with you in your book about was you essentially predicted, I don't know when that book was finished, but I assume it was Hate like early, much earlier in 2019, yeah, Hate Inc., that they were going to turn Rachel Maddow into their Judy Miller. Basically, like, we're going to pretend that this is just one person right. who like went over the line and was journalistically reckless. While the rest of the media, you know, essentially was very responsible. And that's been like Margaret Sullivan's theme. Right. You know, like, oh, the cable news personalities aren't really journalists. Like the serious reporters at the New York Times and the Washington Post got it right. Trying to like isolate her was your prediction. And I thought like, you know what? I think Rachel Maddow was too valuable of an asset and too popular. For that to happen, but I think you actually turned out to be right, that Eric Wemple column was very aggressive in repudiating what she did, and that did surprise me, but I also felt like it was kind of a fulfillment of your expectation that they were going to try and isolate her and scapegoat her as a means of saving themselves. I think you're right, though. It's not going to go to the degree
0: that the Judy Miller thing went I mean the, the she might up. she might get some Lock criticism but it's not going to be you know exiled. yeah I mean like
2: yeah like uh, you can replace you know a faceless front page national security reporter much more easily than you can replace a valuable famous cable news you know face that rachel is she's worth hundreds of millions of dollars to Comcast as evidenced by her 10 million dollar a year contract and you don't just Throw that away the way you could throw away a Judy Miller, and just put someone in her place who will do the same thing.
1: Can you summarize the, the major bombshell reporting that the Intercept did on Bolsonaro, the effect of it, and also on Lula?
2: Yeah. Seconds? So uh, yeah. So essentially, you know, the biggest political presence in Brazil since 2014 has been this anti-corruption probe called Car Wash. That has resulted in the imprisonment of dozens of business leaders, billionaires, oligarchs, political leaders from multiple parties, and the biggest head on the pike was the former two-term, highly popular president Lula da Silva. Um, And the judge who oversaw that process and who endorsed all kinds of highly controversial practices that had never been previously used in Brazil, Sergio Moro, after he found Lula guilty on very dubious charges... And then sentenced him to a decade in prison, which resulted in Lula's not being able to run for president in 2018 at a time when all polls showed that he would win if he were to run, including beating Bolsonaro by a substantial amount. The judge who removed Lula from the race by finding him guilty, which paved the way for Bolsonaro to win, then accepted a position as basically the highest ranking member of Bolsonaro's government, as a very powerful minister of justice and public security, where all the powers of law enforcement, surveillance... investigation were consolidated under him and our source hacked into the telephones of the prosecutors and as they were communicating with the judge for years worth of communications. It's an archive that he gave us that is bigger than the Snowden archive. And we were able to show that there was just systemic corruption on the part of these prosecutors who were idealized and turned into heroes, as well as Sergio Moro, who's probably the most popular and powerful person in Brazil. Um, And it eventually led to the freeing of Lula, Um, As well as dozens of other prisoners. It's going to lead to the disciplining and removal of the head prosecutor um, And it really destabilized the Bolsonaro government because of how critical Sergio Moro is to that government
1: Can you talk about um, the situation in Brazil and how you kind of experience it personally? You mentioned about how there have been so many threats against you. You are also like someone hit you um, On radio, I mean, there was video footage of them hitting you while you were on the radio.
2: Both say I'm um, cavardi. I'm got What is know What is it? say I'm it? What is What is What is What is What is What is What is
0: What
2: is What is What is it? What is What is What
0: is
1: which, of course, it was like
0: reported as a fight, it or was a, just, like a yeah. fist
1: fight broke out, like it was the yeah. w- worst both sizing of, uh, I've seen in a while. Um, and also how your role as like how fatherhood has changed or not changed, I guess, the way you experience politics and your own personal decisions, especially in terms of the danger in living in Brazil.
2: Well, it's interesting. I think one of the things that people don't realize about Bolsonaro, like when they constantly compare him to Trump or to like the far-right leaders of Western Europe, like Marine Le Pen or Nigel Farage or those kind of people, is he's actually much different in a lot of different ways. He's really more of a throwback to this Cold War yeah. right-wing authoritarian who's obsessed with murdering communists. Right. And, torturing also, them. and torturing them. Yeah, but and torturing them and then murdering them. And he's also a religious fanatic Mm. and anti LGBT hatred is a central part of his political success because Brazil is a very religious country. It's the largest Catholic country in the world, but it's much more um, fanatical in a religious sense because of the growing evangelical movement that has really taken over large swaths of Brazilian politics and Bolsonaro's, um success in demagoguing lgbt equality he you know basically convinced a large percentage of the population that public schools are now geared toward teaching children about homosexuality in order to convert them so that gay teachers can fuck their young children which is you know like playing with the most dangerous primal fears and right. instincts that people have And one of the reasons why the reporting that I did was so dangerous is because my husband in January of 2019 kind of took center stage when the only LGBT member of the Brazilian Congress in the history of the Congress who had been elected, who was a dedicated enemy of the Bolsonaro family, who had spit on them, who had been threatened by them, fled the country out of fear of his own life. And David, because he ran for Congress and became the alternate automatically by law, took that seat. So it was like one LGBT member of Congress fled the country in fear of his own life. Bolsonaro that day posted great day, like celebrating the fact that he fled. And then David took his seat, elevated us as a gay couple, into this like really bright spotlight at exactly the moment that Bolsonaro assumed the presidency and his spawns, the sons, like the like Saddam Hussein sons, like elevated themselves greatly in their own power. Like one got elected to the Senate, the other one got the biggest vote in the history of the Congress. So the Bolsonaro family assumed great power. And David and I became probably the most visible LGBT couple. Even before this reporting began, and then once we started publishing these leaked conversations, so much of the attacks were anti-gay in nature and and not just anti-gay, but you know, dragging our kids into the spotlight. And it's interesting that you mentioned, like, my new experience of being a father. We adopted, you know, two young boys in 2017. When Bolsonaro threatened to imprison me explicitly, he also in the same press conference claimed that David and I had married fraudulently and had adopted two Brazilian boys and he emphasized boys um, fraudulently in order for me to avoid being deported because under deportation law, if you're married to a Brazilian citizen or you've adopted or are the parent of two of Brazilian children, you can't be deported. So he dragged our family into it, said our family was essentially a fraud. He called us tricksters. Yeah. And then the right wing host who attacked me physically. The reason why that was such a tense interview was because six weeks before I appeared on that right-wing radio program, which, by the way, you know I also do that in Brazil. It's like a very popular right-wing radio and YouTube TV program. I appeared on there six weeks earlier that pro-Bolsonaro journalist had gone on his own program and said that a judge should investigate whether David and I are properly caring for our children, essentially saying that there's a possibility that our children should be taken away from us, put back into the orphanage from which we adopted them, and one of the reasons why I was so animated and so angry sitting next to him was because this paternal instinct that I honestly didn't know that I had kicked in, and it was like I was sitting next to the person who was essentially calling for our children to be taken away from us and returned to an orphanage, and when I called him a coward for using our children that way and for refusing to say the same thing about his coworkers or his bosses where both couples, you know, the the the, 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 the people in the, in, in, in the couple both work... Um, whether they should have their children taken away out of you know concern that they're not properly caring for their children, he only said it about us. Um, that's when he physically assaulted me, and it wasn't just that he physically assaulted me, but Bolsonaro's sons, his guru, many members of his party went on Twitter and celebrated the fact that I was you know slapped in the face. They said next time it should be done with a closed fist, or the violence should be worse. So there's a lot of political violence in the air in Brazil. It's a very dangerous political movement. And there's just no one that would dispute that the reporting we did was by far the biggest threat to that government in 2019. And I became the public face of it along with David. And the fact that we were an openly, are an openly LGBT couple with two children, kind of a living embodiment of the, sort of the proof that they're attempt to stigmatize and demonize what it means to live an LGBT life, trying to convince LGBT youth that their futures are going to be filled with solitude and disease and unhappiness we're kind of proof that that's a lie. It just stimulated so much more hatred and made it more primal and violent. Um, I haven't left my house since June without armed guards and an armored vehicle, nor has David. Um, You know, we had to drastically enhance the security measures in our own house. Our kids are very aware of that. It radically changed our lives in every conceivable way. Um, But that's what it means to do actual resistance against a fascist government.
1: How do your kids have you ever have you heard them like describing you and and David's roles and and describing the political situation? Have you ever heard them doing that, or do they talk about it with you? Like, uh, do you have any sense of how they understand what's happening?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's amazing. Like, kids who grow up without parents, as ours did, um, develop faculties and skills that. I never had when I was their age because I relied on my mother and father to protect me and to monitor the world for dangers and to teach me about what was going on. Kids who grow up without parents have to develop these... It's kind of like, you know, if someone's blind, their hearing becomes enhanced. Obviously, it's a tragic thing for kids to grow up without parents, but there is this kind of... I don't want to call it a benefit, but like a result, they develop capacities that other kids don't have. And so... Our kids are, like, incredibly perceptive, and they just fit so perfectly into our lives. They're very charismatic. They're very charming. They're very smart. They like um, dogs. Yeah. They, like, they were a little wary of the some of the dogs at first, but they even love the dogs now. So, yeah, they, like, they're really proud of us. They, like, some kids in school have made, you know, pejorative comments occasionally, about us, and they, like, almost got into fights over it, and we talked to them about how you can, like, debate with words but not with fists. So, yeah, they're very aware. Yeah, they're very aware of all of that. One thing I wanted to ask you about, I mean, you're you're going through
0: something that very few journalists in the United States ever have to experience, you know, sort of immediate, at least the ones who work entirely within the country. What do you think living overseas and in that kind of environment uh, has done in terms of your perspective on reporting on the United States? Do you think it's enhanced it in a way? Or what What do you think the experience of living abroad has done for you?
2: Yeah, I think it's been incredibly beneficial for my work as a journalist. Like being, being you know, having distance between New York and Washington and then me thousands of miles away. Um, for one thing, it means that I'm not constantly interacting with people who are immersed in elite political and journalistic culture. So I'm not constantly connected to it. We're all influenced by the people we talk to, the people who are around us. And so kind of having this distance from it, I think has enabled me to have some greater independence. It also gives you a different perspective. I mean, I remember after living in Brazil for two or three years, I just woke up one day. I don't know why this insight came to me, but I just like realized it seems kind of banal, but at the time it seemed like, an epiphany. I realize there's never a moment in Brazilian political discourse, and Brazil is a big country. It's the fifth most populous country on the planet. It has 220 million people, so just a few less than the U.S. has. It's comparable in geographical size to the U.S. It has tons of oil reserves. It's of geostrategic importance. It's the most influential country in the on the continent, and yet there's never a moment where there's any discussion of like. Which country should we bomb? Like, should we go to war with this country? Should we drop bombs on this country? Should we send? And so when you kind of remove yourself from the U.S., you start to realize that certain things that are just taken for granted as normal in the U.S. are actually incredibly abnormal, really kind of rogue in in the sense that almost nobody else does it. Um, And then, you know, I think that also the way I built my journalism career, starting my own blog and then always negotiating for the right to just not be edited. The fact that I have my own independent following that gives me a kind of leverage and platform has just kind of contributed to my ability to be independent and not have to, you know, please and appease um, the people who wield power in the world of journalism fantastic um
1: and are you paid in rubles by the way what's yeah, I the currency say,
0: what's your favorite part of the russian assets uh, benefit package
2: well i was gonna ask you guys whether you're gonna pay me the rubles you promised me by wire transfer or check <laughs> or how that works yeah <laughs> so, you guys know better than i yeah we'll
1: work it matt definitely
2: knows yeah yeah matt was in moscow for how many years matt that all that compromise was compiled about you
0: yeah 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 no i'm, I'm, I'm the i'm the liaison yeah Exactly. So. Uh, Glenn, thank you so thank much you for coming so on. Much, I think yes. um, I, I, I think Katie and I both w- would agree that uh, what you're doing is both impactful. It's incredibly brave. Uh, I hope you're taking care of yourself yeah. and taking precautions. I've, I've actually worried about you yeah. a couple of times over the last year.
2: Um, you know, keep, keep keep it up, but be safe.
1: Yeah, be safe.
2: Yeah, you guys are doing great work, um, and I really appreciate your finally inviting me on.
1: You should tell your kids. <laughs>
2: finally. Your, 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 what'd you say? Finally. He oh. You should tell
1: your kids that you should be like, you can just, instead of using your fist, just call, you can use your words and call people covardi, or covardi, covardi, however you say it, covardi? No,
2: it's good. You, you say it like I say it, which is like a horrible gringo accent. All right, so, well, um, I'm going
1: to say it well now, <laughs> covardi. Very good, Cobardi. very good.
2: <laughs> All right. Glenn, all, right, guys, so all right, all right, guys, thank you guys. Keep up the great work. I appreciate it. Bye.
0: You know why I learned something today? What'd you learn? <laughs> no, I think that was a great interview.
1: Oh, yeah, it was. Did you learn anything that st- stands out?
0: For me, I haven't really talked to him a whole lot since the Bolsonaro story broke. And um, the idea that he's... Basically, in under house arrest. I mean, yeah. he's not—he's not able to go out without um, security. Yeah. Without security, you know, he's got to think worry about his kids. Yeah, it kind of—it makes me think about you know people talk about bravery in this country yeah. for in, in journalism, and the reality is that American journalists don't really have to risk a whole lot. Like the th- the worst thing that tends to happen. In this country is that you get sued
1: right and you, you, you they do you a financial can, they can risk financial ruin right black yeah you listing, can definitely lose pol-
0: yeah. everything there's no question about that financially all kinds of bad yeah, things can happen you won't to you get but killed, but people have no idea what reporters go through in other countries i saw this a little bit you know not with for myself but other colleagues in 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 Russia right. and in the former Soviet Union, but what he's going through right now is kind of like I the ul- the ultimate in what can happen to you, um, you know, if you end up on the wrong side of a situation in the press. Yeah. So I, it, it, that 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 was really uh, enlightening. Which is why
1: it is so infuriating, I think, when people call him like an enabler of fascism or a fascist oh, yeah. himself. I and mean, he
0: doesn't really do any real reporting anymore. Like he's got he's, a Pulitzer Prize, and he's going through this situation yeah. that literally nobody and, in and America. And Bolsonaro
1: would. is like, just so people know, he says terrible things he was in the uh, military part of the military dictatorship he was in the military under that he's praised famous torturers he said that they should have killed people instead of just tortured them right anyway but that was great and um glenn is hilarious and he gets a lot of crap and his uh, husband is awesome david
0: the other thing I, I, I really admire about glenn you know look when i get criticized, my self-doubting mechanism just goes into yeah. overdrive. I like yeah. I want to go run and hide and cry somewhere. Like what you know, Glenn has been just in terms of uh, immediately standing up to people and yeah. like you know fighting back as hard as hard as he can. I think that's that's uh, something that he does. That's really notable and commendable, yeah. like he, you know, he, he he really engages in that part of it uh, yeah. in a way that's, uh, that, that's kind of amazing. Yeah. Like his, his instinct for not taking anybody's shit is just I kind know. of awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so he should get credit, as much credit as, as we can give him for that. Just to quickly go through some, uh, there, was, there were a lot of Stone moments in the campaign oh last week, God, but we had a, so we had a couple we, we just want to look at. The, 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 the two that we decided on is the most important for yeah. this week.
1: Let's start with the, this Warren story. It was pointed out on Twitter that Deepa Shivram tweeted that Katie Porter, who's a congresswoman, was handing out Liberty Green nail polish to folks at the Warren crowd who were committed to caucus for the senator or who said they'd volunteer. And uh, what you have here is you have an image of a, a, how would you describe that color? A muted mint?
0: Yeah, it's kind of a... yeah, it's a little bit of a pist- pistachio, a little a little bit of a um. Most it's very. Oh, is it cyan. A, it's a little How the cyan hell do you know that? Yeah, I don't
1: even know what cyan looks like. I just know that like uh, J. Crew has. And things I think in there's, it.
0: there's a little bit of a Mochi. Statue of Liberty.
1: Oh, she- Liberty Green, duh. Yeah. Statue of Liberty. I can't believe we had to go on this whole thing when we exactly. were actually written there. And were you you realize that the whole time? I'm
0: realizing it now.
1: But, so I looked into who made this, because apparently these were also part of your swag bag. And I looked into who made this, and it's a website, uh, or it's a company called Claws Out. And what happened is, apparently, uh, Katie Porter, the Congresswoman, uh, wanted them to design a, a nail polish for Warren, which they did, but they actually uh. have a shade called She Has a Plan for That Nail Polish. <laughs>
0: <Like> <laughs> I the, didn't hear the, that. Yeah, it's
1: called She Has a Plan for That. And um, it's metallic ocean blue.
0: But- the long and the short of it is that the Elizabeth Warren, the claw, claws out is the Elizabeth Warren n- nail, nail polish, polish which um, well, she has a plan for that. And is, she has yeah. a plan for that. I like,
1: yeah. I like the green, the one I would say the there's a
0: lot of there's a lot of loony merch. Um, I don't know if claws out is a message that right is going to attract a lot well, of new just, voters. But I, I like them. I mean, and the, yeah, I mean, they're maybe. just such a yeah.
1: pe- guess where they're from. Guess where they're based. Yeah.
0: San Francisco. No, but close. Uh, San Mateo. Portland. Portland. OK. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, all right. Well, that, that happened. God. Another great video. How, do you want to introduce this? Uh, it's
1: just a video put out that, that I guess, um, Jill Biden had tweeted.
0: Right. And it's, it's Biden campaign. Bi- Biden
1: campaign people. And this obviously was recorded um, with 23 days out from the campaign. So let's just watch the, watch the tape. It's 23 Reasons for um, Biden. Hi, it's Finnegan here. We're in Waterloo with
2: 23 days left to the Iowa caucus.
1: And we're going to give you 23 reasons why. Joe Biden.
0: He can beat the NRA. Uh, he likes ice cream.
1: He has the experience.
0: He knows the foreign policy. He wants to protect and expand on the Affordable Care Act.
2: He can restore, he can restore
0: the soul of this nation. <laughs> LGBTQ
2: rights. Joe Biden. People trust Joe Biden. Uh, he stands up for working class values.
1: He's an incredible person all around
0: He's got the experience as an age. Like, a lot of them don't like that, but we need that today. He's an incredibly genuine man. He's gonna get us back into the Paris Climate Accord. He has empathy.
2: Climate was mine, so I'm gonna reiterate that. Climate change.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he commands respect on the world stage. uh, he uh, knows how to be a strong leader
2: uh, and lets other world leaders know who he is.
1: i going to do gun reform.
2: He can start today
0: and take over and be the one to start today. We don't have to have somebody go in there or be in there that has to learn it. He knows it. He has zero tolerance for malarkey. (laughs) <laughs> he is just a humble and genuine human being who can represent the United States to its fullest capacity.
2: He can beat Trump like a drum.
1: Four more years of Ray Bans. Oh my
2: god. He <laughs> likes trains. We're good. We're
0: good. Stop. Oh.
1: Oh. my god. So first of all, this woman at the at the end, what? Two of them are standing this with their hands in front of them. So, what, what, Their hands Yeah, the the
0: hand, the strategically placed hand is a a great feature of this. It's kind of great, sort of waiting for Guffman (laughs) quality to it, doesn't
1: it? Yeah, exactly. Right. And, like, okay, so there are 23 reasons. What, What is so pathetic about this is that these people are what? They're interns or they're volunteers? They're representing the Biden campaign and. One of them said they they should have coordinated or they should have come up with it ahead of time. They're struggling to come up with reasons.
0: Yeah, uh, and yeah. when he
1: says the Paris climate, of course, then the woman in the center is like the young woman in the center is like, well, I was going to mention climate, so I'm going to stick to that one. Like,
0: so it's 22.
1: Yeah, it's, and then Joe Biden is another one. So that's now we're down to 21. And
0: didn't the, one of the he, he, count. he said one of the first ones was that he liked ice cream, right?
1: yes but we're gonna let that one side we're gonna be fair here's what we can't do i think you can't use joe biden because that's his name you only get to count the the climate once so now we've lost two uh i don't really think empathy works because he says he had no empathy for millennials so i feel like he just outed himself as being empathy deficient yeah so i'm gonna take that one off too um then, I, can we watch this one again? Just like a couple seconds in. It's when the guy on the second from the left says something. I he, like can restore,
2: he can restore the soul of this nation. I just oh, love
1: how, like, what hyperbo- hyperbole that is. And it's delivered like he just said, like, he wants to change a light bulb or something. Right, yeah. He can restore the soul of this nation. He can restore, he can
2: restore the soul of this nation. <laughs> I f- I feel I know, bad it's look terrible. look I look
0: I mean
1: But no we're going to count that. I'll give him that. But what we can't count is experience because You're pretty g- harsh about I these am. people. I am I'm talking with Ali. The guy who says experience is next to the woman with the folded hands. Look, another folded. Wait, 3 of them have folded no, hands. No, there's
0: only one who's got a completely missing hand <laughs> stuffed in her pocket like
1: No, she has a bandage on her hand. Cast. Uh, okay. Not Okay, cast, all right. Slave, all right. So, yeah. that, that, oh, so that that clarifies don't. things okay. for me. All right. Um <laughs> But he says very inelegantly that he has experienced. Remember, he's like, he's old. Some people think that's a bad thing. You can't. so, So I'm taking, I'm deducting. Speaking of deductible, No, uh, Now you're just being Eighth? mean. No, I'm being nice. You're
0: Eighteen? making me, I want to, I'm going to vote for Biden now.
1: <laughs> no, then forget what I said. I'm, you, no, 19, here, not 18. I'll give you 19 reasons. All right. I think we should be, look, I'm giving them tough love. The campaign needs to, I think, step up on their social media game, their video game. I'll, I'm, I'll give them the Ray-Bans. I'll give them ice cream. <laughs> I just saying, you got to be better. You got to be on message. And you can't say age, experience, one person saying that, and then the other person says experience.
0: Yeah, no. It's uh, one thing I will say about this is that you could make a pretty good drinking game out of who could last the longest, oh, yeah. not laughing. Yeah. Through this, right? It would. There's so gotta be.
1: You drink if you. Once yeah, you start or laughing. smoke or something yeah.
0: like that. They're, yeah, I don't know. They're, it's pretty hard to like make it all the way through without. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? I've, I've come around. I'm done waiting. I'm all. I'm all for this. This video. Really? Yeah.
1: All right. Well, yeah. you, okay. Yeah. I guess we're going to have a, this is one of the few times where we have a mixed vote. Right, Yes. Yeah, Divided house. A split it's, vote. Yeah, it's a split Thank decision. A split, vote. split decision. You know now. what that is? A sports thing?
0: It is a sports thing. I
1: didn't even know that. Okay. Okay. All right. Until then. So that was Useful Idiots. You learned a lot. You learned a lot from Glenn <laughs> yeah. Greenwald. We laughed, we cried. We laughed, we cried. Yeah. Uh, we almost did cry just laughing at the woman. I was laughing at you laughing at the the volunteer right um but that was all based on your poor vision yeah no uh, I'm,
0: I'm just yeah, getting old and senile yeah. so anyway thanks for tuning in we'll uh, we'll catch you next week yeah.